0: Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. It's a new year and we've got some exciting new announcements. Number one... You can subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. That's my favorite podcasting app. I've been using it for years. It keeps a playlist of all of your favorite shows, and it automatically updates with new episodes so you don't need to download every one. So go and get it, download the free Stitcher app, and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Number two. I invite you to order my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. I'm so excited about this project. I've spent the last two years working on a how-to book for people who do what I do, reporters who shoot and edit their own stories. They're called MMJs or multimedia journalists. It's specifically aimed at those in college or just starting out. In the book, I walk you step-by-step through the creation of a story, and I tackle the many challenges that arise when you have to do it all by yourself. You'll hear from me and nearly a dozen of the top solo video journalists in TV news today. That's The Solo Video Journalist, available now through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and my publisher, Rutledge Books. Number three, the third announcement along those lines, I invite you to check out my latest guest post this month on the website School Video News. They actually posted a review of my book, and then they also asked... If they could republish a piece I wrote from my blog four years ago, that piece was called 10 Years Later, What I Learned and Didn't Learn in J-School. It's something, frankly, I've been thinking about quite a bit with the book coming out and uh, the book being focused largely on college students, and really, it had me thinking about what did I take away from my college years? What would I hope that today's college students and aspiring journalists would take away today? So with all that in mind, let me introduce my guest. For this episode, she was a longtime sports reporter at USA Today, but for the last five years, she has served as the head of the sports journalism department at the University of Georgia. Very excited to have her on. Vicki Michaelis. welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. And Vicki, we met a few months ago under some unusual circumstances uh, at two in the morning at the Olympics in Rio we were both on the media shuttle bus going from the International Broadcast Center. I recognized you and introduced myself, and, and was so delighted to learn of all that you're doing in the academic sphere. Is—is uh, is this a move you ever saw yourself making back when you were covering Olympics uh, so often and so well in years past?
1: No, no, this move found me. Uh, I wasn't looking for it. They—they they found me, and and I'm very happy they put me on this path. It's been fulfilling, rewarding, validating, all of those things you look for in a career change. It's been great.
0: What has been your goal with the program? Did you have a a clear goal when you started or has it really evolved over the last few years?
1: I would say my overriding goal when I came in was to do the things that you're talking about in your book, which is to prepare future journalists to be able to be nimble with all kinds of tools and on all platforms and telling all different kinds of stories I think when I looked at uh, where media had stalled um, when I was in, it it was that people were clinging too much to, oh, this is, this is my niche. This is what I know, or these are not tools that I want to adapt to because I'm too used to using this. And, and so I've always wanted to stress with my students, no, throw all that out. Um, You've got to be nimble. You've got to learn to use the tools as they come at you. And, at the base of it all, you need to have journalism fundamentals, storytelling fundamentals, and you take those and apply them to the tools and the platforms.
0: Now, do you find that the uh, the students are receptive to that concept? Because I know in my experience, it's typically not the younger folks who need to be sold on the need to be nimble and flexible.
1: You know, it scares them because as all of it we're we're trained to walk into someone teaching us something where the person says I'm going to teach you how to use this and instead I'm teaching them I'm going to teach you what to do on this but you have to go learn how to use it hmm. and I think that's a really important mindset to get them thinking that way so that as new tools come on board as they undoubtedly will and inevitably will in their careers they don't think of it as who's going to teach me this they think I know how to tell a story, I know how to be a journalist, I know what I'm supposed to do, I just have to figure out how to do it on this tool.
0: That's very so interesting.
1: It's it's not something where you know we think of this generation as, oh, they're on social media all the time, they're on their phones all the time, they're very comfortable with this. They're like the rest of us of, oh, <laughs> wait, you mean we have to go find this app or tool that you're supposed to tell us, aren't you supposed to tell us how to use this? And oh, I say, wow. no. I'm not going to, I mean, I'll help you. I'll guide you. (laughs) I want you to go try it first.
0: And uh, before we go any further, why don't you talk a little bit just about your job description? Obviously, you run the department, but you also are hands-on. You teach classes. So talk a little bit about, uh, just for those not familiar, what you do and what the program exists to do.
1: So the program actually uh, didn't exist when I arrived. They hired me to create the program, which... I thought it was great. I could be an entrepreneur within an academic setting, which was very exciting for me. (laughs) So what we were able to do, and I have a a co-director, Welch Suggs, um, we created a a curriculum. It's six courses that students are required to take to earn the sports media certificate. And uh, Welch and I both teach a number of those courses. We bring in adjuncts to teach those courses. Those courses go from teaching students how to cover sports events to teaching them how to do what I call the 85% of the job outside of the sports events, which is finding the interesting features, the news, the breaking news, the behind the scenes, all the stuff that you do, Matt, um, to teaching them how to do that specifically in broadcast, media relations and communications or in enterprise reporting and writing
0: very nice, and uh, I actually had the pleasure of speaking to one of your classes this past fall, and it was a wonderful time. The best part uh, for me, the part I enjoyed the most, was the location, because you teach at the University of Georgia. Uh, it's a prestigious journalism school. It's a beautiful college town in Athens, Georgia, and where we met and where we, uh, where I spoke with the class, was not on the UGA campus. It wasn't close to the UGA campus. You had your students traveling weekly to a technical school about an hour away and do live broadcasts of Friday night high school football. Uh, I loved that. And I, I, I got the feeling right away there was a message behind that location that you wanted to send those students.
1: Well, I probably don't have to tell you, Matt, that journalism requires you to be flexible about where you spend your nights and your weekends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nope, you do not need to tell me, but I, I definitely always love the reminder.
1: <laughs> yes. So it's something that uh I really want our students to understand as they're going through our program so that when they get to their first jobs and someone says, So you'll be working Friday nights from five PM to one AM and you may not get Thanksgiving or Christmas for the first four years, that they don't go, Whoa, no one told me this. Maybe I do want to go to law school. I want them to be totally ready and, and just say been there, done that. I've been to Conyers, Georgia, every night in a in a fall during my college years when I could have been out doing so many other things. I survived it, I love it, I still want to do it.
0: And for many of them, it's their senior year, right? Yes. Yes. So that's a big sacrifice.
1: It's a big sacrifice. We had some people who had to wait to leave for the away UGA games until after we got done with our broadcast. I think our my cat has just joined us. Hello. <laughs>
0: Does, can the cat say hello, or will we...
1: The cat really cannot say hello. The only thing the cat can say is, I would like some attention.
0: That's fair. That's fair. So for those of you listening to the podcast, we might get the occasional interruption from Vicky McKellis' cat. What is the, the cat's name?
1: This is Lucy.
0: All right. So if you hear a meow in the background, that's Lucy. Yes. And uh, I would imagine Lucy also has some very uh, important opinions on the stuff we're talking about, too.
1: Yes. So... Um, Back to, you know, what we're trying to do throughout this program is to give them as much real-world experience as we can. As you and I both know, we can't completely replicate what's going to happen to them in the real world of journalism, but I want to give them enough of a taste that they feel, okay, I know what this is, and I do want to do this, because it it takes a real passion, and without having – okay, cat press the screen – without having that um, – Without having that taste, you're just not going to know that.
0: I also like the fact that you, you do ease them into the Thanksgiving and Christmases because uh, I certainly, I probably worked about the first 10 Thanksgivings. So it wasn't the first four years for me. It was uh, it was definitely a lot longer than that. So hopefully they're, uh, they're prepared when they get to age 25, 26, and they're still working Thanksgiving.
1: Well, I can tell you, twenty years into the business, I was still called on for some NFL games on Thanksgiving. So it (laughs) it really never it never changes.
0: (laughs) This is the Telling the Story blog. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Vicky Michaelis, former USA Today sports writer, now head of the UGA sports journalism program at the prestigious UGA Grady School of Journalism. Um, So, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the podcast, Vicky. I wrote this article uh, right when I started my blog a few years ago called 10 Years Later, What I Learned and Didn't Learn in J-School. It was one of the first things I wrote. It was one of the first posts that I really found myself sinking my heart uh, and energy into. Uh, it's like that with most of the posts that I do for my blog, but certainly some topics I feel more passion for than others. And this was definitely something where as I started writing it, I I was immediately taken back to the conflicted emotions that I often felt in those first years after college about why didn't I learn X, Y, and Z? Why did I only learn A, B, and C? Things that didn't seem like they applied to what I was doing as much. Uh and and now, and and for those of you who read the article and you can find the link in the show notes to this podcast, uh, you know, I've I've certainly come around to really understanding the benefits that I got out of my experience at Northwestern University. But I, I wanted to talk to you about that. You you read the piece and I'm curious as to what your take on that is, as far as what students expect to learn coming into your classroom and coming into your program and maybe what they don't expect or don't anticipate that they should learn.
1: You know, it's hard to know what they expect to learn because I think they're all very different in their progression through, you know, some of them have done significant journalism in high school. Some of us, some of them come to us having done significant stuff for the red and black or, uh, you know, the, the student run radio station or for the UGA Athletic Association, the sports communications department. Um, what I hear from them is that they expect to progress, which is a reasonable request um, that they would come in and. And that they would be better when they get through the program. So we try to figure out where they all are. And someone once described it to me as you've got everyone on a conveyor belt. They're all at different places. And you're just trying to move them all farther down. Some are going to get to here. Some are going to start there and get to here. Um,
0: And when you say better, are you talking specifically about being a better journalist, a better writer, a better uh, understander of the world, a better, uh, finder of stories or just the whole package?
1: I would say it starts for us with storytelling and really at the base of that is writing. As you know, you're, you're a broadcaster, but, um, if you don't write good stories, they don't come off well on TV, right? So you have to be a great writer in order to be a great storyteller and so that's our message to them because if, if they come in and we say, we're going to make you a better writer, we're going to lose 60% of the room because they're going to go, well, I don't really want to be a sports writer. I want to be a sports broadcaster. I want to be a sports media relations person. And so we tell them, we're teaching you how to find and tell good stories, how to find new information and new perspective. Give us another window onto the world. That's what sports does so wonderfully is it either – mirrors something that you see in society or it actually drives some change in society. And so that's the message we're constantly trying to get them to understand. Um, you know, I think they come in expecting that we are going to love what they do already (laughs) (laughs) when we're that age, right?
0: They expect to get discovered maybe
1: pretty good at this. And, and hopefully they'll just say it takes a little polish here, a little polish there and just like at Northwestern, uh, where I went also, we break them down pretty quickly. Um, I remember at Northwestern, they put us in, our first class was called basic writing. And there's nothing more humbling <laughs> than having your first class be called basic writing. Because you go, wait, <laughs> I thought I could write. So we, we try to do the same thing where we say, everything you thought you knew, let's sweep that aside. You can bring that back in in pieces, but let's show you what it really is.
0: So let me, uh, let me kind of list the points that I brought up in, in my piece about the things that I didn't learn. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious to get your take on whether a college journalist should really expect to learn these kinds of things. Because I know that, that looking back, I don't think I could have reasonably expected to really learn a lot of the things that I talk about in the article I say that I did not learn about the cold, hard reality of the industry. For sure, my professors always warned about its tenuous nature, but they could not prepare me for the day when, six months into my first job, my station made massive budget cuts by firing all of its main anchors and producers. That's a true story, and those are the kind of things that you, I think, almost too quickly get comfortable with in the business. And certainly, coming from a print background, you've seen plenty of that in recent years as well. Is it really fair to expect a journalism program at a college to really be able to teach that or that that might happen in one's career?
1: Uh, It's fair to expect that we would give you fair warning. um, But I think it comes down to we all hear what we want to hear. And Mm -hmm. if this is something you're investing your college time in and this is your passion and this is where you want to be in your career, you're going to probably not hear that at the, at the volume that you need to (laughs)
0: until
1: it happens to you. Um, I think we all had those experiences where you might've heard an echo of something that someone said to you when that happened and you might've gone, Oh, well, (laughs) I guess I should have listened a little bit more to that. Um, But there's also, honestly, you have to be optimistic with, you know, would be journalists because If I go in and I preach doom and gloom, why on earth would anybody stay? You know, why would I be there if I just said, well, this is what it looks like. And it's not like that everywhere. Is it like that in more spots than it used to be? Absolutely. Um, It's, you know, I think for this generation, what I'm seeing is they're getting a lot of their reality in their job search. You know, they get these great internships because everyone's looking for that cheaper labor. <laughs> so look <laughs> at these big name internships because everyone's like, great, we just have to pay an intern to do this. And they're doing cool stuff. And then they graduate and they look for that first job and they go, whoa, wait a minute. I've got an internship from MLB.com. I've got all this experience at this and I'm going to have to work for a local newspaper in a town I've never heard of in South Carolina. That's hard. That's Mm. hard. Um, Not as hard as obviously getting laid off once you have a mortgage and kids and, you know, the things that we've seen our peers deal with. Um, But there is a sense of I try not to be Pollyanna, but I also try to temper it with enough optimism because we need these people. (laughs) The media needs these people like never before. And so I want to toughen them, but not discourage them entirely.
0: I remember people, people couldn't tell me anything when I was a senior in college. I was, I was ready to go out to Sioux city, Iowa and show the world what I could do. And, and I don't think I was ready to hear that lesson. I'm not sure that it, it necessarily got told to me so brutally as it wound up happening, but, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I was not, I was not willing to listen at that point. I think to a lot of the people who were saying, you know, it might not be the most financially lucrative place you want to go, uh, (laughs) One of the other things I wrote was, and, and I, one of the things I wrote was that I did not learn how to tell a story, not in the advanced sense anyway. I learned all the basics, but I only seriously developed my storytelling skills when I started using them five days a week. And I think that's a pretty fair critique. And like I said, you really hone in on storytelling, but they're only going to get, you know, one shot at it every week, maybe every mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Um, but the other thing I mentioned was I did not learn how to battle bureaucracy, let's just say you don't face a whole lot of obstacles while covering the women's basketball team for the school radio station. And you don't get any preview of the day in day out effort of managing all your important relationships from coworkers to PR people, to management, to the subjects of your stories. You reference this a little bit in talking about the need to stress the other 85%. Uh, does that kind of echo uh, that philosophy?
1: It does. It definitely does. Um again, we try to dip them in the real world as much as we can in our multi-platform storytelling class. They're each assigned to a beat and they're expected to produce blog posts and stories from that beat, not about the events, but about the players, the coaches, what's happening with that team. Um, And UGA is just like any other bureaucracy, right? You, You assign a student reporter to that beat and, you know, even if you're going out to the, undercovered equestrian team, <laughs> you're going to get some bureaucratic runaround. Is that the full experience of what they're going to get? No, no, it's definitely not. But it, but it's at least a taste where they can go, oh, I didn't realize these people were not going to welcome me with open arms and give me packets of information the moment I walked through their door. Um, and I didn't realize that if I go interview somebody, well, they only have five minutes or they have no time at all. And can you come back tomorrow? You know, it's stuff like that, that I try to tell them how many, how many hours of my life I have spent standing
0: mm-hmm. in
1: arenas <laughs> outside yep. of locker rooms waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, right? Or in mix zones at Olympics waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and yes, building relationships with peers such as you because we're there. <laughs> right. we're, we're the ones hanging out together and at some point we're all in it together. So um, yeah, I think it's a great point that you could not possibly be prepared for that until you go and do it every day until you get the reps. I tell them all the time, I'm only giving you so much here. You've got to go get reps. Um, it's like being an athlete. You're not going to get good until you're doing this day after day.
0: That's a great point. So those were the things that I, that I wrote that I could not learn or that I did not learn. And that I really looking back could not have expected to learn in a college setting. But then I talked about the things that I did learn. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one I wrote that I learned to think critically about my field. Uh, one of the best classes. I'm wondering if uh, if you took this as well at Northwestern, but they had a freshman class called History and Issues of Journalism.
1: I'm not sure it was called that, but I remember when yeah. you mentioned Dick Schwartzlose in the in the in your post, I, was, I, I I did have his class, and so I'm sure it was just called something different when I took yes. it. Yes.
0: And yes. Uh, I think the point was probably made just by having a class taught by Dick Schwartzlose. Um, I, uh, I could go on for a long time about how much I idolized that man. I will say that he, uh, actually, I actually dedicated the book that I wrote to him nice. because he taught me to think big and mm-hmm. was really one of the first people, uh, from a professional sense that really pushed me to do that. Um, but in this class, he would just run people through the paces, uh, putting us in real life journalistic scenarios that blur the lines between right and wrong and what might seem right but isn't journalistically appropriate um and he would go after people socratic method style just putting them in that mindset and immediately you respected the field i think much more as a profession and a craft that's worthy of being taken seriously rather than a a dream job that Mm -hmm. you hope to have and and you'll be at the top of the world one day um Mm -hmm. So I think that was something that I really am thankful that I learned early at Northwestern. I would imagine that's something you're constantly stressing upon your students as well.
1: We do. I I teach a sort of a large course to 140 students. It's called Sports Media and Society. Um, and we do a lot of discussions, even with that many people. We do online discussions in smaller groups. What we're really examining are the ways in which sports media and society have intersected over time, right? So this is my way of teaching them sports history. They should know who Jesse Owens was and why he mattered and, and why he mattered at that time. And and the same about Billie Jean King or Jackie Robinson or, you know, anyone that you and I take for granted, like, oh, everyone knows that, right? Well, guess what? They don't. <laughs> and so <laughs> we talk a lot about that, but we bring in, you know, this last semester, we talked about Colin Kaepernick almost every week. Oh, uh, yeah he's a very current example of exactly what we try to get them to think about in that class, that this isn't all about going down at halftime and on the sideline and catching the coach and saying, so what are you going to do in the second half to stop their offense? (laughs) That's not what sports reporting is at its core. It is about finding the stories that make us look at the world in a different way. And so we teach that class at the beginning So that their minds are a little bit more open to those things as we go through.
0: And I think that's something that uh, all of us who were down in Rio this summer really learned on the fly there. Because for a week we were covering the games. At least I can say for our station and and the stations within my company. We were covering the games and the events and our local athletes. And then Ryan Lochte and a few swimming buddies got into an incident. And that wound up taking over the Olympics Uh, In terms of a lot of the coverage and I was thankful in that moment that again just that mindset of thinking seriously about it because I really focused at that time on not just you know not just using the latest surveillance footage or not just you know trying to uh, get whatever footage we could of people. Uh, going to the airport and back. We, I really tried to do stories in that moment that were more about the culture, why this matters so much to the Brazilian people, what it says about, uh, about America and how America is represented in the world, and, and trying to elevate those stories. Because really, and if you watch ESPN today, if you read some of those popular sports articles, again, Colin Kaepernick is probably the most written about athlete in the NFL this year mm-hmm. on a pretty terrible team. Mm-hmm. But it was because of the stance he was taking. Uh, I don't. I want. I don't. I want to say off the field, but it was very much on the field. But you understand. Mm-hmm. I do.
1: Yeah, and you know that's what I try to teach them is Tom Brady's records will come and go, right? And it's something to write about. Certainly, you don't want to ignore the season that Tom Brady might be having. Um, but what Colin Kaepernick is doing puts him, you know, or does it? This is a debate we can have. Does it put him in the company of Muhammad Ali and, and, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and those kind of people? Um, Well, we're watching it happen in real time. And if they can understand what their role would be as journalists, were they to be covering the 49ers or, you know, the NFL overall, um, that's what I really want them to get to, that they don't go, oh, well, why would we cover a guy not standing for the anthem when the game's going on? (laughs) It should be the opposite.
0: Yeah. Uh, So one other thing I wanted to touch on as far as things that I said I learned. um, And Northwestern, I, I, I wrote in the article, I learned about much more than journalism. I remember being somewhat surprised when I first saw the Medill School curriculum, which actually exists in a similar framework today. Of the 45 classes I needed to graduate, I was only allowed to take 12 of them. At the journalism school for the rest i needed to fill a variety of liberal arts requirements uh and as i write in the article i wound up learning more about history the arts and psychology than i ever expected and i absolutely use that knowledge as a journalist it certainly sounds like based on what we just talked about that you're really trying to infuse some of those real world topics into what is essentially a sports journalism program
1: definitely i mean my northwestern influence is obvious you know from beginning to end of how we built this program but that was a very big influence for me as well. And so when we were trying to decide, should this be a major within the journalism school, a minor, a concentration, how should this look? We went with a certificate because a certificate means that any student at UGA can take this program. If they get into the program, um, they do not have to be in the journalism school. The majority of them are, but that means if you've got a philosophy major who is interested in sports journalism, come on board. We'd love to have you because you're going to bring a different perspective. Mm. And it also opens up this possibility that they're going to dive deep into some other topics. And I think just like you, I think that's crucial to be a good journalist. You cannot just know a trade. You have to have the big picture view of a lot of things.
0: This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guest is Vicky Michaelis, head of the sports journalism program at the University of Georgia, and also a longtime writer at USA Today. I feel like uh, we've completely glossed over that part of your career, but we're going to get to it now. Uh, this final section, Vicki, I always like to use uh, as an advice section for young journalists. We've kind of been doing that throughout this podcast, but I do want to focus a little bit on just your start in the business. Uh, as you said, you went to Northwestern, worked your way up at a few newspapers, came to USA Today where you were the lead journalist for six Olympic Games. Talk about the lessons from your own career that you would say apply to those who you're now teaching.
1: Um, Well, I just went through one today um, and it it refers back to something we talked about at the beginning about being nimble with the tools because I told them when I started uh, high school sports reporting, I was using... And I don't even know if you'll remember this because you're younger than me, but they had these Radio Shack uh, laptops. The very first laptops were made by Radio Shack. Really? Didn't have a lid. You just had a little screen um, and a keyboard under it. The screen could hold six lines. The computer could hold three stories. And when they gave me this, when I was covering high school football, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I don't have to come back to the office from <laughs> <laughs> there. right? I mean, that's an amazing leap forward, really. Yeah. And so I would, they would always shut down the stadiums. And so I would have to take my radio shack and go to a shopping mall, parking lot, park under a light, prop it up against my steering wheel and type in my story and then send it over a payphone. So, and I'm not that old, <laughs> <laughs> but if you leap ahead to some of the last things I did for USA Today, um, I was in Shanghai at the swimming world championships, sending in stories from my smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's those kinds of lessons that I try to tell my students. Look, I know that you know part of that just makes me sound really old, but what I'm trying to tell you is, if I, if if we focus on only teaching you the tools that are available today, you're going to miss out because you have to be able to adjust as you go. Um, I also tell them, you know, it really is about finding good stories, because I I feel like the reason I was able to progress through the levels that I did, I started in high school sports, went to college sports, covered some professional tennis, covered the NBA for a few years, and then landed at USA Today as the Olympics writer. Um, I thought that what I brought to the table was I was always looking for stories, good stories, and not just what's happening on these beats, but let's dig underneath that and bring some new perspectives to it. I covered a lot of terrible college football teams and NBA teams. <laughs> <laughs> I covered the Denver Nuggets between Dikembe Mutombo was gone and Carmelo Anthony was not yet there. So I don't know if you remember those oh, years. Wow. Last years, they were terrible. So what are you going to do in order to get readers? Well, you you better find some interesting stories. Um,
0: this is post uh, LaFonso Ellis, LaFonso
1: was there. Oh, okay. Uh, LaFonso Bryant, Stiff. Oh, wow. Um, they had one season. They went into April with four wins. <laughs> they were on the verge of setting the NBA record for fewest wins in a season, which is held, by the way, by the 72-73 Philadelphia 76ers. That's right. And uh, the Nuggets traded for a point guard named Corey Alexander, who is now an analyst. I've seen him on some uh, broadcasts I've watched. Never heard from him again in the NBA, but he, he helped the Nuggets to enough wins that they avoided <laughs> – so um you know and most people would look at that and go that must have been a terrible year for you well guess what it was a great year because people were rubbernecking at this team the whole year going are they really that bad are they going to do that are they going to set that record and so they were willing to read all of these interesting stories about that team
0: that's interesting i like that and yeah listen as someone who uh spent four years covering the northwestern wildcats before they became the consistent bowl going team that they now are i i remember some very rough days as a college sportscaster um yeah. vicky uh you know it, it's funny I, I read another really interesting article this week about college students it came from al tompkins over at the pointer institute and basically he interviewed a sampling of college journalism students and got their take on the business and uh what stood out to him was that they seemed serious about making a difference and not so concerned about money being a factor in their career goals. And at first I thought, well, that's that's very exciting and heartening to see from the young generation. And then I wondered, is that specific to this generation? Or do you think that's every idealistic young journalist who enters the world in maybe the last half century?
1: I think it's the latter, actually. I mean, I don't know what they told you on your first day at Medill, but I... I remember this so distinctly. They sat us down and someone got up. I don't remember who it was and said, how many of you think you're going to make more money in your first year than your parents are paying for you to be here this year? And all of our hands went up, right? And then they said, put all of your hands down. <laughs> <laughs> so it was our first lesson at Bedill. Like if you're in this for the money, the engineering school is up the road. So <laughs> go find it. Um so, you know, there there are times when my students and I have really candid conversations about salaries and, you know, what can, what can you expect? And I said, look, are there some people who make big money? Absolutely. Um, just as there are in any business. But you're probably not going to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you are going to have a really interesting job. You're probably going to make a, a decent enough living that you can have a decent life. Um, and you know as long as it's something that you think is fun and you like getting up for it every day isn't that worth whatever tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands even that you might be giving up
0: i so, uh oh sorry to sorry yeah. to interrupt i uh i felt like um hearing that it it reminds me a lot of when we have interns at the station they always shadow me and because i'm a solo video journalist it's just me and the intern driving, you know, usually a half hour, 45 minutes each way, wherever we're going. And we, we talk a lot and there are always those questions. And I always feel very conflicted about what to say, because you said it earlier, you want to be optimistic. This is a great field and it's a critical field in so many ways in our society. And you want people to remember that and think big, but there's also the very realistic uh, approach that you have to take. And, And I also find that I I find more than ever now, I find myself saying that you have to realize that what you think you want at age 20 is not what you might think – or not what you're ent- eventually going to want when you're even age 30 or age 35. I, I'm much different now at 35 and married than I was 21 and single. And priorities change and, and the things that seem important might be for a little while but might not be for the long term. And And I always – Struggle at how to tow that line you 're in a position where it's incumbent upon you to kind of reflect both sides of that coin right
1: right uh, you're absolutely right i mean and, and it does go back to that you want to be optimistic enough but not unrealistic with them about things and so again i don't present it as doom and gloom to them, but I try to be very honest with them you know when when we have talks about what their first job is going to look like, I say. I hope you like ramen noodles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> it's
1: going to be a staple of your diet, you know. Um, um, we talk a lot, you know, when they're deciding where to go for internships or, or their first job. I say, well, where do you have family or friends where you could have roommates or some support? You know, those are the places you want to go because you're just not going to make that much money. Um, and it's just a matter of giving them, as I said, an optimistic view but not an unrealistic view um, so that they are ready. And, and, you know, you want them to hang on to that idealism and to have that somehow measure up in, you know, helping to cancel out whatever financial objectives they might have for the business.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, in that spirit, let's, let's do this as we wrap up. My last question is more of a, a request to you. What is the most, optimistic and idealistic thing that you say to young journalists and that you would want young journalists listening to this podcast to take away?
1: I tell them that this moment in history belongs to young journalists because the industry changeover has cleared out so many of the veteran journalists and so many media companies are looking to fill those gaps with honestly, cheaper labor. Right. And so I don't think there's been any other time when journalists out of college can expect to get the kind of opportunities that are available to these students. And so in that way, they have an advantage that you and I didn't have because when we entered the industry, there still were all these veteran journalists. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't want them there. I would, I would trade anything to have them there still. Um, but the reality is they're not. And that's created all these opportunities for the young journalists, especially the ones who are multimedia. Um, When you look at how big companies are hiring, they're looking for people who do what you do, Matt, you know, who can do all of the things and and be good in many areas, Um, can tell a story on, you know, several platforms and do it as a solo journalist. I mean, you're invaluable. And so, That's what I tell them is they have opportunities available to them that you didn't when you got out. I didn't when I got out. Um, They need to grab that. And then they need to realize as they go that they need to value experience in ways that the media industry does not now value it so that we don't get back to this place again.
0: Very well said. And uh, I, I love that. That'll be kind of our. Closing thought, leaving on a high note, but Vicki, uh, I always like to end the podcast with that famous reporter's question, one that I'm sure you've asked many times. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add?
1: No, I think you've covered it, Matt. Um, uh-huh. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Very good. And Vicky McKellas, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time and, and great insight. Uh, we look forward to hearing and seeing what your students come through with down the road.
1: Thanks so much, Matt.
0: And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And now subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And... Check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. You heard us talking about it earlier. A huge resource for young TV reporters wanting to get a sense of what it's like in the real world of local TV news. I hope you check it out. And as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.